0: I hope you brought your steel-toed boots this morning. We're going we're gonna to dive straight in. Uh, we're continuing our series called Indeed, where we're talking about spiritual bondage and spiritual freedom. Uh, last week was tough, uh, but I'm going to tell you that, that the enemy doesn't want you to hear this stuff. He really doesn't, uh, because what we're doing is we're taking ground that he's taken from us. And remember, when a thief is caught, they have to return it sevenfold. They have to return it seven times what they stole. And the enemy does not want to have to do that. He doesn't want to have to repay you the things that he stole, repay your joy, repay your peace, repay the time. He doesn't want to do it. And so he's going to try and do anything he can to keep you away from here uh, and hearing the message, which is why we have Facebook. It's why we have the ability to watch online, because if you do get sick, if you happen to be on vacation, I don't think your vacation was from the enemy. I'm not saying that. But if you're on vacation, watch online. Uh, If you just need a refresher, that's why it's there. So make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, I'm going to recap last week. We talked about three main points last week. When we were talking about Mark 5, the, the demon-possessed man, we discussed that, that the demonic really is real, the spiritual warfare really is real, and the demons really do enter people. But number three, we discussed that Jesus really does cast them out. Uh, our minds have been perverted by, by media and by video games and by movies to not really understand what the demonic looks like. Uh, And and so we talked about, really, it's being under the influence of something. You're not under the control of anything, but you're under something else's influence. We talked about opening a door, and that's how the thief gets in. Uh, This week, we're going to dig in a little bit more. Today's message is entitled, Open Door Number One. Open Door Number One. And you do have these notes now in here. Well, if I can find them. And you have pens, so you can take notes. Woo! So do that. Or you can take them on your phone if you're not texting, that's fine too. But open door number one, we're going to be in a lot of scripture today, but here's the five that I would encourage you to write down or to turn to, Um, but we're going to be in several more verses than this. You can just jot them down as we get there. Today we're going to talk about the first open door, the the door that was first opened when the enemy uh, started moving. But before we do that, I want to clarify something that I said last week uh, because it's going to make a, a difference in this message. When I talk about open doors, I picture us as the house, okay? We're a house, we house the Lord, and that's who we are. But the problem is, there's a thief who's sitting at the fence line, and he's waiting to get in. And so, when we do things, sometimes we open the door, and we leave it open, and the thief can roam freely in. And so, this series is talking about how do we get that thief out, and how do we live with the door locked? How do we live with that door shut? bolted, I mean, everything we can to make sure he can't get in. In Mark chapter 5, we talked about there was a man who was demon-possessed. He was living in a cemetery, living naked in a cemetery. And the demons inside of him were named Legion, which means 6,826. This man was possessed. He was bound. His name was Legion. He falls on Jesus' feet, and he begins to worship. And Jesus says he has to give these demons permission before before they can leave. Jesus gives them permission. We have got to figure out what this means, because this is very, very confusing. The fact that Jesus would have to look at demons and tell them that they were allowed to leave. Jesus has to give them permission. I want to talk about that sentence, because I don't want us to be confused about Jesus' plan. So, for this first part, I know normally I have three points. I I try and keep it pretty concise. I've got like 40 today, so get your pens ready. Hope your hands are ready to go back to school. Okay. So this first few minutes, we're going to talk about, does God ever give permission to the enemy to put us under the influence of a demon? Number one. Number two, do we ever do that? And why? Why does this happen? So number one, sometimes we give the enemy permission. We give the enemy permission. We don't do it knowingly. We don't do it Willingly, it's not something that we're like choosing to do. No one's sitting here and they're like, "Uh, yes, please, I want that. No, no one's doing that. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of hell and there's the kingdom of heaven. When we choose to live in the kingdom of light, we're choosing to live righteously. We're choosing to live holy. We're choosing to not uh, sin. We're choosing to not walk out things we're not supposed to. That's when we're living in the kingdom of light. In that scenario, the door is shut and it's locked. The enemy cannot get in if we don't give him the area to get in. However, if we read what Scripture says, and we do the opposite of that, if we're not living holy, if we're not living righteously, if we're living in sin, we're in essence throwing that door wide open. We're not just unlocking it, but we're seeing the thief outside. We're throwing the door open and just go sit on the couch and eating Cheetos. I mean, that's just what we're doing. That's what the difference is. That's how we give permission. When we choose to live that way and we choose to live in sin, knowingly live in sin with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words, we are choosing to throw the door wide open to the demonic. We're throwing it wide open to put us under the influence of a demon. All right, number two, sometimes God gives permission to the enemy. And this is, a, this is counter everything we've ever talked about the Lord. Because we think all these verses, you know, God's plans are for me. He's never against me. And, and he's so good to me. And he's so faithful and all these things. And those are all true. Every one of those is truth. The word of God is 100% truth. However, sometimes the Lord uses the enemy to complete his plans. Sometimes he has to do things to get our attention. All throughout scripture, you have examples of people that are in extreme bondage. They're extremely bound. They're extremely hurt. And in that bondage and in that hurt is when they finally begin to call out to Jesus. This is kind of what Jesus does with us sometimes. Sometimes we have to have our attention, like, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. (laughs) Sometimes the Lord has to get our attention. It's lost. I'm focusing on the wrong things. I'm living in this hurt. I'm living in this bondage. And the Lord says, you know what? The only way for you to get out is to be more bound. Because when you're in that place of bondage, you can realize there's one person that can help you. There's one person that can free you, and that's Jesus. And so sometimes the the Lord does use the enemy to complete that purpose. It's like this. It's this this picture that I get. If I see a a little boy and he's standing in front of the way of a bus and this bus is flying at him, he has no idea it's coming. Sometimes (laughs) we're in the way of this bus. I'm just telling you, sometimes we are. Not a physical bus, but you know what I'm talking about. If I see this kid, I'm going to shove this kid out of the way of that bus. I'm going to push him as hard as I can to make sure he doesn't get hit by that bus. But when he falls, he might scrape his elbow. He might have a bloody knee. He might even break a bone or two, but he's not dead. This is the same thing that Jesus does with us. Sometimes we got to get out of the way of the bus and he's going to shove us and it might hurt and it might get bloody, but it's so that we're not destroyed. That's Jesus' plan for us. He wants us to have a good life. He wants us to be blessed, but sometimes he's got to use different measures because we're not paying attention. If I'm standing in the road and I'm texting on my phone and that bus is coming right at me, my attention is in the wrong place. Jesus is going to have to push me out of the way of that bus. So sometimes we give permission. Sometimes the Lord gives permission. Today we're going to talk about that first open door, one of the ways that we open the door. I believe this is one of the most common, if not the most common way that we open the door, and it's something that we don't take very seriously. And it's something that I personally struggle with every single day. I'm telling you that we, we want to be open and honest in this room. We want you to come in here with, with brokenness and come in here and, and find the healer, find the mender. And so I'm being honest and vulnerable. This is something I struggle with every single day. I struggle with this. It's the issue of pride. Pride is, is a funny, a funny subject, something we don't really understand. Uh, Many, many people, if not most people, are proud of the fact that they don't have pride. I'm going to say that again. Some of you, hasn't clicked yet. <laughs> They're proud of, the, proud of the fact that they don't have pride. Right there is the pride. Right there. When you're, and I, I have said this. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't have pride. I'm, a, I'm the most humble person to ever live. I just, no, pride. Right there. <laughs> Boom. Got it. First things first. Which means this, this is a message for those people that think this message isn't for them. That's gone. (laughs) This is a message for those people that think this message isn't for them. And so when I say the word pride, I know that there's probably 75% of the room that that tunes out that's like, oh, this isn't for me, I'm going to sit here and play Tetris or something. No, this is a message for the people that think this message is not for them. Because pride is hidden. We don't like to admit that we have pride. I think every one of us has the ability to struggle in pride in in one way or the other, and I'm going to give some examples of what that looks like, but I think we do. And so if you sit in here and you think, genuinely, this message isn't for me, then I'm going to go ahead and tell you this message is definitely for you. If you think that there's no way that you're struggling with pride in some area of your life, I promise you this message is for you. Pride is something that we don't take very seriously. It's a trap that we don't take very seriously. Uh, We sometimes don't even consider it sin, and we definitely don't realize that it's an open door to the demonic. Uh, here's, here's how I know that to be true. I just, a few minutes ago, admitted that this is something that I struggle with every day. This is, this is a struggle that I have. No one left the room. No one screamed. No one fainted. The elders didn't come up and take me out. No one, I mean, No one booed. Nothing like that happened. What if I stood up here and I said, I'm struggling with having murderous thoughts about people. I I stand up here every day and I look at some of you and I just want (laughs) to, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. But see, perfect reaction. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We don't take it as very serious. We don't realize that it's a sin. But if I stood up here and I said, you know what? I struggle with watching pornography every day. It would be a big deal. It would be a huge deal. We would have conversations with the elders. I mean, like probably right now they would come up, somebody else would finish the message. But pride is a big deal that we don't take it seriously. It's a really big deal, and it's door to the demonic, and we're gonna sh- I'm going to show you how in Scripture. That's why there's so much Scripture today. But we have to take this seriously because it's hidden in our lives, and often we can't even come to grips with the fact that, okay, I struggle with it. I do. And I'm telling you that this is something that I struggle with. Proverbs 16.5, this isn't one of the ones that I, that I told you to turn to, but you can jot it down. Proverbs 16.5 said that the Lord detests those that are proud. He detests it. I do not want to be the person that God looks down at and, and detests. And he looks down at me and he's like, are you kidding me? I am disgusted. I don't ever want to be that person. That's why we have to take this really, really seriously. Go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. So this says, if you read the chapter title, it says it's a prophecy against the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre in this represents Satan, and you're going, to see, you're going to see that it represents Satan, but I'm just giving you that ahead of time. Verse 12. Son of man, take up lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. When Satan was an angel, when he was Lucifer, he was the most beautiful angel. He was the most envied angel. He was, I mean, literally, physically, they talk about how beautifully beautiful he was. He was powerful. This, this dude had it all. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, crystallite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You are on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. All right, pause. He's looking pretty good right now. Satan slash Lucifer is an angel. His life is beautiful. He's beautiful. He's like one of God's right-hand men. I mean, he, he's, he's powerful. And it says, there was no flaw, he was blameless in his ways, till wickedness was found. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Watch this. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Why do we need to take pride seriously? It's literally what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Satan is in hell because of pride. He is in hell because he was so concerned with his beauty. That's why we have to take this seriously. This is not something to joke about. This is not something I mean, obviously I'm making jokes about it, but it's something that we really have to have to hit on the head because it's something that we struggle with. Pride is in essence a spotlight flashlight. I have the decision with this flashlight who I want to point it at. I can point it at myself and I can sit and say things like, oh, I'm so wonderful and I'm so great and I'm so strong. I would never say I'm so strong. I got to work out. Okay. But I'm so, I'm so many things, you know, I, I speak well and I, and I have great hair whatever. I can sit and say this all the time and point it at myself. None of those I would say to myself, but I could do that. Or I could point it at Jesus and I could say, God, you're so good and you're so faithful and, I, and you're so handsome and you have the best hair and I could point it all at Jesus. And that's the, that's the version of pride that we don't like to admit that we struggle with, okay? And that's the one that sometimes you really may not struggle with. Here's another version of pride, though. Get your shoes on. Here we go. If I point this light at me and I sit and say things like, oh, I'm so miserable and my life is so terrible and everything bad keeps happening to me and I hate that all of this stuff is happening... Self-pity is pride. Look at where this light is pointing. So I've talked about people having a victim mindset where everything is terrible to them and everything is horrible. Oh, my goodness, I can't be free and and all this thing. Well, but look at who you're pointing the light at. You want to know why you can't be free? Look at where the light is pointing. You want to know why your life is bad? Look at where the light is pointing. Turn the light around. Self-pity is pride. And I hate to say it, and we don't like to think about that. But when I sit and all I can do is complain and grumble, it's about me. It's all about me. And it's pride. Rather than me turning it around and talking about how good God is, I'm so stuck on how bad I am and how bad my life is. Do you ever have conversations with people and somehow it always ends up about them? If that person's sitting next to you, just don't you dare turn. You will pay for it later. I I know these people. And you're sitting there, and you share like the, this, this detailed, beautiful story about your life. And, and, and you know you found this dog, and it was homeless, and now it's the perfect dog. All these, you just had this beautiful story. And then somehow, they're like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of when I did this. And you're, you're what? How? It's not always about you. And here's the thing for Christians. Pst, it's never about you. It's never about you. We have to always be pointing this to Jesus always be pointing us to something bigger than me, better better than me, greater than me. It's never about me. Here's another version of pride. Worrying about what other people think. This is where I struggle the most with pride. I'm just being vulnerable. I always wonder what people think about me. I'm always concerned with, are they talking about me? And to the point where, like used to, I would walk into a, you know, a grocery store or a restaurant or something. I would see two people. I didn't even know these people. I, had, I did not even know them. And they would be talking. I'm like, I guarantee you they're talking about me. I don't even know them. I, could, I didn't know them from Adam. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, they're probably talk, they're having a conversation about me. I did something to them. What? I'm, and I'm, I'm mad that they're talking about these two strangers that are having a conversation. Here's the deal. I want to be the person that doesn't care what people say about me, but that always wants to point them to Jesus. I'm not there yet. But I want to be. I'm not there. I do worry what people think about me. I wonder what people say about me. But you know what? I care more about what they think about Jesus. I care more about what they say about Jesus. I can't free people. He can. I can't mend people. He can. Pride is when I worry about what other people think about me. And I do. And I'm a work in progress. We all are. But that's what pride is. All right, pride makes us do three things. Three things. Number one, pride makes me depend on my strength. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Pride makes me depend on my strength. Jesus is talking. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Watch this. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is talking to Simon, and, and Satan has come up to Jesus and has said, Jesus, I want to sift all of them like wheat. Basically, I need to test these people. I'm going to test your disciples. And then he says, and when you have returned, when you have turned back, Jesus is in essence saying, Satan asked, and I told him yes. Satan asked, and I gave him permission. And when you come back, when you return from Satan's sifting, strengthen your brothers. But Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. Actually, the Greek word, if you look into the Greek, the Greek word for asked actually means asked and permission was granted. That word right there, Jesus is saying, Satan asked and I told him, yes, that he could sift you like wheat. So we got to dig into, well, why? Satan has permission. Satan has a right to test me, to test Simon. But why? Why? That's what we have to figure out. The open door. Peter, Simon Peter had an open door in his life, and that door was pride. Simon had pride. And we're going to talk about why, and and we're going to read some of the funniest verses in Scripture. If you want to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 16. You know, the Gospels are, are, in essence, they record the same stories, uh, but from different points of view. And some of them have other things, and some of them don't, but same stories, different points of view. And so... Matthew, Mark, and John actually record, record what happens right before this conversation. Mark 14, verse 27. Jesus is talking. He says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Let's pause right there. Jesus says, this is going to happen. Simon Peter says, no. It takes pride to look at Jesus and tell him he's wrong. It takes pride to look at Jesus and say, actually, you're lying. But he keeps going. Verse 30, I tell you the truth, Jesus said. Jesus is saying, hello, I'm speaking the truth. Don't argue. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. It takes pride to look at Jesus and tell him he's wrong. Twice. He emphatically says, Jesus, you're lying. No, he's not. (laughs) He's not lying. And you know, based on knowing the scriptures, he was right. Peter does, he does deny Jesus. But Peter looked at Jesus and said he was wrong. That's pride. Matthew 16. I told you we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Get your fingers ready. Matthew sixteen twenty one. This is another one. And this one's even funnier. This is just Peter, 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 Peter. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and then he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Watch this. This is hilarious. Peter took him aside, Jesus, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Peter rebukes Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus is sitting, having a conversation with his disciples, and Peter's like, Jesus, we need to talk. Takes him out of the hallway and rebukes him. What? Are you kidding me? That takes some pride. Then Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of men. Peter had some pride. I hope you can see that now. Peter has some pride in his life. So much so that he's calling Jesus a liar and he's rebuking him. Then Jesus looks at a man, a physical man, and calls him Satan. Why? Because Peter was under the influence of something. Peter had an open door in his life, and he was under the influence of a demon. He was under the influence of Satan, which is why Jesus can look at a physical man and say, get behind me, Satan. He's calling out the demon in that man, and he's saying, no more. Peter had pride, and it made him depend on his strength. Remember when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden? They come to arrest Jesus in the garden. It says there's a garrison of soldiers there, okay? We don't exactly know what that number is, but it's more than 100. More than 100 soldiers show up. One of the disciples pulls out a sword and begins to swing. He's just swinging, cuts off somebody's ear. Which disciple was that? Which disciple would have the guts to think that he could take on over 100 soldiers? Peter! Peter, in his pride, looks at these guys and he's like, oh, it's nothing. Hey. And starts cutting off people's ears. No. And then Jesus, I can just picture Jesus' face. He's just like, are you kidding me? I just, I told you this was going to happen. And you're getting riled up. I mean, Jesus just, he's just embarrassed, I think. Pride makes us depend on our strength over Jesus' strength. If Jesus wanted to, in that moment in the garden, he could have snapped his fingers. They all would have fallen dead. He didn't need Peter swinging around a sword. He didn't need it. But Peter's pride made him depend on his own strength, not Jesus's. And that's what pride does to us. It makes us depend on our own strength. And when we do that, we're opening the door. And Jesus grants permission to the enemy then to put us under the influence. Because of us, Satan then has a right to us. All right, number two, pride makes me depend on my own righteousness. Pride makes me depend on my own righteousness. Job chapter 1. Oh, lost it. Job chapter 1. I'm going to read a lot, so don't fall asleep. I'll scream. Okay. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. This is a good guy. This, man, this is a man who lived, lived well, lived righteously, was blessed because of it. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. Thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Remember, Satan has to come to the Lord for permission. He has to. If Jesus grants permission to the enemy, there has to be an open door. There has to be. Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord says, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. The Lord gave the enemy permission to sift Job. He gave the enemy permission to mess with To harm Job. Why? There has to be an open door. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the service to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this point, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job is a righteous man. He lived by God's standards. He lived the way he was supposed to. But he wasn't sinless, and he had an open door in his life. And that open door was pride. Often when you hear people preach about Job, they talk about coming out of hardship, and they talk about, Having, having a good attitude and, and, you know, still worshiping God in the hard times. And Job did that. He did do that. But Job was man, which meant he had sin. And Job did not think that he had sin, which is where pride comes in. Pride made Job have sin in his life, and pride made him open that door wide open to the enemy. I'm going to show you his pride. We're not going to read through the rest of it. Uh, because it's just too long. But for the next 31 chapters, Job is sitting with his friends, sitting with his buddies, and he is having a conversation with him. They come to him and they say, Job, are you sure there's nothing you did? Are you sure you don't have any sin in your life? And Job basically says, no, I did this. I did this really well. I never did this. I always did this. I never did this. You know what he's doing? He's justifying his righteousness. I did all the right things. I never did any wrong things. And because of that, I'm, I'm good enough. Because I did not do anything wrong. That's pride. Nothing, nothing, nothing can make you righteous except the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing. And Job consistently says, no, I'm righteous because I did the right things. I'm righteous because I didn't do the wrong things. Pride. There it is. And so they're sitting for 31 chapters, and they do this. Then chapter 32, as they're sitting there, there's this little boy. He's watching nearby. (laughs) He's been listening to this whole conversation. His name is Elihu. And he sits there and he's tired of it. He's just tired of hearing these, these old men gossip and say these wrong things. And so Elihu, this young man, decides to stand up. And he says, Job, I've been listening to you this whole time. He even says, I am young in years and you are old. And that's why I was scared not to say anything. That's what he says. But in verse 9, in, verse 33, in chapter 33, verse 9, he's telling Job what he said. And Job said, I am pure and without sin. I am clean and free from guilt. Job had pride. If you think that all doing all the right things and never doing the wrong things is what gets you into heaven, it's pride. There's one way that you are righteous enough to be in the presence of Jesus, and that's through Jesus. You're not made righteous by the right things you do. You're not made righteous by the wrong things you don't do. It's only by the blood of the lamb. And we know he had pride because of the conversation that he's about to have with Jesus, which if you think Jesus isn't sarcastic, I'm sorry he was. Sorry to tell you that. Listen to this. Chapter 38, the Lord speaks. (laughs) This is funny. Some of y'all, I feel like the Lord says this to me sometimes when I get big headed or start worrying about other people. Job 38, verse one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Ouch. God is saying, uh, what dumb person is making the decision to speak right now? You are speaking and you are dumb. That is what he says. Verse 22, 38, 22, it says this. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Ooh, that burns. God is talking to Job. He said, are you, are you God? Have you seen where I keep the snow and where I keep... The hail, verse 24, what is, the, <laughs> what is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Can you just can you picture Job's face right now as God is just zinging him over and over again. Just zing, he's just gone over and over again. Verse 35, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? If God is speaking to you in this way, you might have some pride in your life. You just might. If you're having conversations with God and he's saying, hey, did, did you, do you tell lightning when to strike? Do you tell lightning where to go? Do you, do you control where we keep the hail? If God is having this conversation with you, you might have a little bit of pride in your life. And Job had pride. Job thought that he could make himself good enough. Job thought that he was, he was sinless. Wrong. It's pride. That's why the enemy was allowed permission Because Job had an open door in his life, and that open door let the enemy come right in. And it was not to harm Job. It was to get his attention. All right, number three. We're beginning to wrap up. Number three, pride makes me trust in my own wisdom. It makes me look at my plans and my situations and my hurt and everything that I'm going through and trust myself over what God has to say. There's a movie called The Prince of Egypt. It's, it's just wonderful. The cartoon one, by the way, has a killer cast. Like, they were all no-names, and now they're all super famous. It was, a, it was a wonderful movie. This movie has a song that still to this day ministers to my heart. Every time I hear it, it's, it's old Papa singing. And he says, your life is a string in the tapestry of everything. My life is just a string in the tapestry of everything. It's talking about Perspective. Oh, my goodness, how many times has my perspective been wrong? And the way, the, the way that I would have handled something would have destroyed everything, but the way that God chose to handle it was the right way. Because what I see is a string in the tapestry of life. I see one perspective. I see my direction. I see everything my way. And it's just one view. And God's looking up, and he sees everything. He's holding the universe in his hand, and he sees the whole situation. How many times do I find myself saying, you know, if I was God, if I was God, I would do this, or if I was God, I wouldn't do this. Or, or I'm even questioning God about things that he's doing. God, why, why, why do you allow this? Why do you do this? There's, a, there's an old pastor. Uh, he, he has passed on now. His name is Jay Vernon McGee. He had this really, really funny, cute little voice. And he used to say this. He would said. I was going to try and do the voice. I'm not going to. (coughs) He said, (coughs) I'm not going to. Okay. This is God's universe, and he does things his way. You may think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. That is so true. I sit in my world and my perspective and I think I have the best way to do everything and the way that I want to handle things is ultimately the right way and I have all these wise words to say. I don't have a universe. He does. And he sits and he holds it and he's just like, okay, no, don't do that. Or no, you really, you really should do that even though you don't want to. I may think I had a better way, but I don't have a universe. I don't see everything. When pride kicks in, It's me making the decision to trust me over him. Let me tell you something. God is doing a way better job running this place than I would. Way better. I have these brilliant ideas, and then like, you know, 10 years later, I look at it, I'm like, well, thank God I didn't do that. Thank God that didn't happen. Really thank him, because it would look completely different. I would look completely different. My life would look completely different. But he sees everything. Pride makes me trust my wisdom. Over him. And you know what? We do this with sin. We read things in scripture and we're like, ah, oh, that, that didn't apply to me. Or I, I see that, but he, God doesn't see my situation. This this is written for other people. It's not, not for my situation. I'm sorry to tell you, but that's wrong. This word is all truth, and it's truth for you. It's truth for your life. The, the principles, the guidelines that are laid out in here, it's for your life. We don't get to pick and choose when it and we may not understand. Odds are, we probably don't understand all the things that he says in here, but it's for you. You don't have the universe in your hand. He does. He sees everything. His plan is better. So how do we close the door of pride? We're closing. How do we close the door of pride? I know nobody really wants to have pride. No one sits and is like, yeah, I really want to worry about what other people think about me. I really want to have self-pity. I really want to think of myself as better than everybody else. We really don't want to do that. So how do we do it? We fight fire with fire. I'm going to fight my pride by taking pride in Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. That's how, that's how we fight pride. When, when I begin to have this light and it's pointing at me, I've got to make a conscious decision. I'm fighting my pride by taking pride in Jesus. That's how I do it. I'm fighting my self-pity by taking pride in Jesus. I'm fighting my thoughts by turning that light around and pointing it at Jesus. When I begin to get down on myself and, oh, my life is just horrible, all these bad things keep happening, and I'm just I'm just miserable. You know what? God is still good. He's still faithful. I'm going to turn that light around on him. I'm going to stop focusing on me and focus on him. In my hurt and in my pain, he's still good. And when my head begins to get big and I'm thinking, oh, man, I really do have great hair and I really do have you know, nice shoes or whatever, I, whatever it is that I'm thinking, I don't have nice shoes. Some of you started looking at my shoes. I don't. They're cheap. But when I begin to have these kind of thoughts, you know what I do? You know what, God? You are good. You are faithful. It's not about me. It's never about me. Without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I have, I have no shoes. I have no nice hair. I have nothing. It's all about him. Pride is something we have to consciously fight, though, because it creeps in in the smallest way. just, just kind of tickles its way in there. I start to get down on myself, and, and I begin to speak things out loud, and it's, no. I'm choosing to take pride in Jesus. I'm fighting my pride by taking pride in him, taking pride in who he is. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. This week, I had a a couple things happen this week. I was pretty discouraged. Um, And I I just had a couple of days that I really was feeling down on myself. And a children's nursery rhyme started popping in my head. And literally, (laughs) this is no joke, I'm sitting in that office weeping, singing a children's nursery rhyme out loud, seriously. The nursery rhyme was, my God is so big and he's so strong and he's so mighty and there's nothing that he can't do. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about my week and I'm thinking about the things that I'm struggling with and I'm just bursting in tears thinking, my God is so big and he's so strong and he's so mighty and there is seriously nothing that he can't do. So how do I fight my pride? I'm singing nursery rhymes. God, you are so big and you're so strong and you're so mighty. And thank you that there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't fix in my life. There's nothing you can't heal. It's all about him. It's never about me. That's how we fight pride. Turn that flashlight around. Don't point it at yourself. point it at him because he is so big and he is so strong. And he is so mighty. And the things that I'm dealing with are nothing compared to his strength. Depression, you you may be strong. You may have a hold on me, but you know what? My God is bigger than you. He is stronger than you, and there's nothing that he can't do. Anxiety, you may think that you have me beat, but my God is bigger than you, and he's stronger than you, and there's nothing that he can't do. I'm taking that flash out and I'm turning it around. It's all about him. There is nothing that he cannot do. We close the door of pride by remembering that he's big enough, that he's strong enough, and he's wise enough to take care of me, and he's the only person that I need. To close, um, I've said that like five times. (laughs) It's to keep you on your toes. All right. One of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible, we always say, well, pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. You know what? That's not, that's not right. Proverbs 16, 8. Well, that's not the right scripture. 15, 8? 18. Ha! Sorry, John. Typed it in wrong. All right. Proverbs 16, 18. It says this. Pride goes before what? destruction and a haughty spirit goes before the fall why is this such a big deal because pride doesn't lead to just a fall it's not just a trip it leads to our destruction that's why God has to push us out of the way of that because we're gonna get hit by the bus and we're gonna be destroyed if he doesn't get our attention that's why the enemy is allowed permission it's why sometimes he has a right Because God is saying, I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want you to get hit by that bus and die. I'm going to push you, and it's going to hurt, and you might bleed, but you're going to live. Pride comes before our destruction. Last verse. You don't have to turn here if you don't want to. But 1 Corinthians 10.12 says this. I know this one's 10.12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Pride is the one that sneaks in when we don't think it's sneaking in. We think we're all good. We think we have it all together. Pride sneaks in. Be careful that you don't fall. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Just first and foremost, we thank you for your grace that, Lord, when we do struggle, we know we can turn to you and our sins can be wiped clean and we can get a clean slate. God, we thank you for your grace. But, Lord, we also thank you that you challenge us. We thank you that sometimes we get pushed out of the way of the bus. God, I just pray that today, if there's areas in our lives that we're struggling with pride, Lord, I pray that we would just turn to you and that you would reveal that to us. I pray that we would be constantly reminded to take that light off of us ourselves and pointing it to you. In the hard times, we point it to you. In the good times, we point it to you. When everything's going our way, we point it to you. When everything is horrible, we point it to you. God, you are so big and you are so mighty, and there is nothing that you can't do. And I just pray that over us. I pray that our hearts would be reminded of that this morning. And that we would never, never stop pointing our light to you. In Jesus' name, amen.